Welcome to Thursday's programme. How are you doing? Have you had a good day? It's a Thursday, May, May, April even. You're getting ahead of yourself. April 8th, 2021, Thursday's programme with me, Richie Allen, your BBG in Salford in the northwest of the UK. Do tweet me at any time, uh, anytime you like, between now and the end of the programme. I have no idea what time the programme will end today. I'll keep going until I run out of material. I might not uh, run out of material. We'll see how we get on. BBG Richie on Twitter. Lovely to be with you. Thanks for choosing the programme again. Let's do it. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. And as usual, there is no shortage whatsoever of things for me and you to chat about between now and today. Well, the end of today's program, Thursday's show. How has your day been so far? There, There is quite, well, there's a lot of things going on. A lot of things going on. And I've, I've, I've been receiving in the last hour some interesting links from you, you dear listener, and from some friends of mine to information that I think you'll find very interesting as we go along. I will read the tweets out as usual. Of course I will. So do drop me a line. I've been very, very busy this afternoon. Uh, to my very close friends, or two of them, who emailed me earlier this afternoon, I saw your emails just before I came on air. Thank you, and I'll be in touch right soon. Just one of those mad days. Do you know when you're working and you get interrupted by doing something, and you, you find it hard then to get back into into gear, you know? We, we've had to... Um, our, our, our little golden retriever has had to, she went to the vet yesterday, she went to the vet today, not getting vaccinated, nothing serious, just a little thing she has to have done. No, she's not had the snip either, it doesn't matter. But it just kind of knocks you out of kilter, doesn't it, doesn't it? Eh? Kind of knocks you out. And then you come back and you try to, you, you chase your tail. I didn't even put anything on richieallen.co.uk today. And that's the first time that I haven't done that during a weekday when the programme has been on air. I've just been blooming busy. So nothing on Richie Allen. Lots of things on richieallen.co.uk. But I didn't uh, write anything today there, even though I, I was mindful. I was, I was kind of of a mind to. All right. Hey, before I go anywhere, I want to say a big hello to Baz in Essex, who hasn't been well of late. Baz is battling the big C. He's uh, battling cancer, is Baz. And his friend Ruby got in touch today on Twitter and asked me to give him a shout out and mentioned that he listens to the programme. Baz, hope you're doing well, mate, as well as can be expected. And sincere best wishes on your road to recovery, mate. And I do mean that. Keep your chin up, mate. Stay positive is all I can say to you. And uh, and I hope um, you'll make a recovery and it won't be before too long. All right. I've had no jab offer. A number of you have asked me, Rich, you're a 46-year-old guy with a big baldy head on you and you've got asthma. Surely by now you've had the call or the text. You've had the hook, Rich, you've been saying to me on social media, offered the jab. But I haven't. I haven't. I'm mildly surprised. But then I got to thinking that because I get offered the flu thing every year, 
And I firmly, but politely, firmly, but politely is the important thing. I say, no, I have no interest in the flu jab. Maybe they know not to offer it to me, maybe. And I'm neither modest nor am I immodest, but I'm reasonably well known. That might account for the fact they haven't been in touch with me by now. I know they're not supposed to be doing the under 50s yet, but um, with the asthma thing, I should have had the hook by now. I'm planning on recording any phone call I get. Not to embarrass the person at the other end of the line, but just in case they really try and lay it on thick with regards to the persuasion type of thing. Social media and and cancel culture and social media and racism. Swansea City plays its football in the Championship. It has been a Premier League club. It's got a lovely stadium and a Welsh club, obviously. It's announced that it's boycotting all social media from now, from five o'clock today, for a week, because apparently three of their players of colour have suffered racist abuse online since February. So, February. Since February. So, Swansea are saying, our players are getting abused, so we're not going to tweet anything, we're not going to put anything on Instagram, we're not going to do any Facebook posts or anything else for a week. And legendary footballer Thierry Henry has supported this in the past. It's ridiculous. People of colour don't teach your children that they should be protected by Twitter or Facebook or by the government or by the police. At some time in your life, somebody's going to say something horrendous to you or, or nasty or aggressive and it might be about your appearance. Jesus, this is... I'm not going to get into this because we've covered it too often on the programme, but yeah, the uh, Swansea Football Club soccer to Yankees listening in to, to those of you across the pond. And Nicola Sturgeon, or wee Jimmy Cranky to her friends, has said she will have no hesitation in taking the Oxford AstraZeneca coronavirus jab if that is the one she is offered next week. She goes for her first jab on the 15th of April, does the little pencil troll Nicola Sturgeon. She said she's hopeful the decision to offer younger people an alternative jab over the rare blood clots caused by the AstraZeneca vaccine. She hopes that will have a significant impact on the target of offering all Scotsmen and Scotswomen a first vaccine by the end of July. So this, of course, is making the news again today, everywhere. The fact that yesterday, the MHRA and the JCVI that's the Medicines and Healthcare Regulatory Authority in England. And the J- JCVI is the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation. They came together yesterday to acknowledge that a rare blood clot might be caused by the AstraZeneca jab, but that it's negligible. It's so rare, it's not even worth getting your knickers in a twist about. But they said they will make available for the under-30s the other vaccines if the under-30s say, well, I'd rather not have the AstraZeneca jab. So that's been everywhere today. We might hear a bit more about that in a few minutes. And this made me laugh because you need to laugh. And I I have lately found some funny things on Twitter. Did you see this, uh, what what would you call it, kerfuffle? Re-raw, August rule you, bull you. 
in Sri Lanka at the Mrs. World competition. Did you see this? Mrs. World, I know. I know I didn't know. I had no idea it existed. But um, the reigning Mrs. World, Caroline Jury, was arrested by the police in Sri Lanka after she allegedly injured a fellow beauty queen in an onstage row. What happened? What happened? Well, a woman called Pushpika da Silva won the Mrs. Sri Lanka title. And if you win the Mrs. Sri Lanka title, you get to go into the world, Mrs. World, world thing, right? So you've got to win your own country's Mrs. title. So surely there'll be a Mrs. Ireland, a Mrs. England, Mrs. Great Britain, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, Pushpika da Silva won it. And um, she was meant to be crowned by the reigning Mrs. Sri Lanka, Caroline Jury. But Caroline Jury wouldn't give her the crown. Instead, she pulled the crown off of Mrs. De Silva's head, claiming that she couldn't hold the title because she was divorced. And if you're divorced, you can't be Mrs. Sri Lanka. Give me that fucking crown. Apparently, she said, there's a rule that prevents women who have already been married and divorced from not claiming and holding the Mrs. Sri Lanka crown. It's a very funny video of it all kicking off. The police got involved. Mrs. World, eh? And no transgenders in sight, apparently. Are they allowing trans women in Miss World now? The, the big Miss World or Mrs. World, are they? I don't know, eh? Here comes Miss Hong Kong. Look at the size of her schlong. Poking through her swimsuit there. Are they allowing trans women in Miss World? I want to know that. Uh, there's, a, there's an end of term feel to the programme. You'll, you'll forgive me for that. Are they allowing the trannies in Miss World? Let me know. That's hate speech right there, by the way. Uh, coming up for ten minutes past five. Will I take a tune before moving on? Will I? I think I might just take it. No, I won't. I won't. I'll move on. I'll move on because there's much to cover. Now, this is interesting. The rate of new coronavirus infections has levelled off in the UK, in England, in England, in England, with one in 500 people currently infected in England. One in 500. That is 0.2% of England's population. 0.2% now, allegedly, has the COVID. Says who? Well, the Imperial College London-led REACT study. Now, this is the Bible for the government and for SAGE and for everybody else and for the media. This REACT study is led by Imperial College London. And how REACT, how it determines, how it comes to, to, to its conclusions is very straightforward. It uh, sends swab tests to people's houses and collects the samples and they ordinarily send about 140,000 swab tests to people around the country and the latest findings are of 141,000 swabs between the 11th of March and the 30th of March. Right? Right. And the results showed that 0.2% of England's population has the virus, a fall of approximately 60% compared with the study's previous findings in February. So 0.2% of the population in England has this thing, whatever this thing is, 
right? Horse shite, I would say. But anyway, what do I know? The man who runs this study is Professor Paul Elliott of Imperial College London, um, one of the usual suspects. He was on BBC News this afternoon talking about this. Here's Paul Elliott then. Yes, so as you know, we uh, uh, send out uh, swab tests to a random sample of the population in England so that we're testing people not just with symptoms who might present uh, for a test, but um, everyone out there. Uh, so we, we capture infections uh, generally in the population, not just in symptomatic people. And as you say, since February, when remember we were coming out of a very, very high levels through end of December, beginning of January. So since February, we have seen this 60% reduction so that now, on average, around one in 500 people is testing positive for the virus. And, and that was around one in, in 250 before, so, so one in 200. So it, it's, a, it's a big reduction. And um, clearly, uh, that meant that the, um, the virus was on the decline in that period. Right. Now, the BBC woman doing the interview, she should say, great, right? Let's reopen everything then, right? What are we waiting for, right? What are we waiting for? Exactly. Take us. Take us. Hey, absolutely right, Mickey. What are we waiting for then? 0.2% of the English population has this virus. Nobody is sick with it. What's going on? While we have you, Mickey, why are all those sage scientists lying about the need to stay in lockdown? Why are they urging us to be cautious about leaving lockdown? And why are they pushing these bloody dodgy vaccines? They was handpicked. It was handpicked, right? Okay, back to the BBC woman. After he said one in 500 people have the infection and that 0.2% of the nation has it, what did she say? Did she say, what are we waiting for? No, she didn't. And so that's very positive, but I'm interested to try to get to the bottom of how much of that is driven by the way we have all been living recently, because, of course, that's starting to change now, and the vaccination programme. Let's talk about... Lockdown. I know it varies slightly depending where you live in the country, but as we look to shops reopening in England next week, for example, do you then expect some of those figures to change? So clearly we're in a, a cautious easing of lockdown. So in the period that we were measuring uh, in this most recent period, clearly schools had opened up and we didn't see an increase in infections during that period. So over March, we saw a flattening of the rate of infection, but we didn't see an increase. And I think that's that's really positive news and, and, and gratifying. But we do have to monitor very carefully what happens, uh, as you say, from Monday when things open up some more. And, you know, I'm pleased to say we're back in the field uh, doing the next round of the REACT survey. Already people have been contacted and will be requesting kits. So we will be watching this very, very carefully over the next uh, few weeks. Always COVID, 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 COVID. It's everywhere. In the Telegraph this morning, I mean, this is astonishing stuff, isn't it? I don't have to dwell on that. I don't have to over-egg that particular pudding. There is no coronavirus. Whatever it was doesn't exist. 0.2% are infected with it. Now, if you start to dilute that down even further, of that 0.2%, not even one, not even a half of 1% of England has this thing. Now, if you start to dilute that again, in terms of, of those who do, how many are sick? Nobody's sick. Nobody's sick. And this is hugely interesting now. Britain... That is Britain now, the, 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 the countries of England, Wales, 
Scotland and Northern Ireland, Britain will pass the threshold for herd immunity on Monday. On Monday, says who? Says University College London. They've, uh, well, they've, what have they done? They've um, presented what is known as dynamic modelling. And according to the Telegraph, this is placing more pressure on Boris Johnson's government to move a little bit quicker in releasing the old restrictions. Now, according to the UCL, that's University College London, results, which were published this week, the number of people who have protection against the virus, either through vaccination or because they had coronavirus previously, that number will hit 73.4% on Monday next, which tips the country into herd immunity, according to UCL. Okay? This is big news now. And Professor Carl Friston of UCL said, and I quote, he said the herd immunity estimates surprised me. However, they are unremarkable when one considers that over 50% of adults have been vaccinated, around 42% of people have now been exposed to the virus, and about 10% have pre-existing immunity. When factoring in the estimated efficacy of vaccination in terms of sterilising immunity, this, according to the model, means about 70% of the population is now immune. Based upon contact rates at the beginning of the pandemic and estimated transmission risk, this is nearly at the herd immunity threshold, he says. Mickey! What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? To open up. So this is big news, right? Now, Matt Hancock... Matt Hancock, the Health Secretary, was on the media round this morning. LBC's Nick Ferrari wanted to ask him about UCL's claim that we've reached herd immunity. You'd have thought so, right? You'd have thought Matt Hancock would be like... Right? But no, here he is with uh, Nick Ferrari. Indeed, it's reported we'll have herd immunity next week, and yet still... We have to have social distancing. We're meant to, if voluntarily, take two tests per week and we can't f- travel. Why? Well, uh, I, was told, I was told by some scientists that we were going to have herd immunity in, in May and then in June uh, and then after that. And so you don't, just, you, these reports are rather exaggerated in your view. What I, prefer, what I prefer to do is watch the data. And so we've set out the roadmap. Watch the data, says Matt Wankcock. Watch the data. One in 500 people in England allegedly have this thing, 0.2% of the English population. Is that data not good enough, no? The roadmap is really clear. It is our route back to normal. We're on track to meet the roadmap. And that is our, and, and that's our goal. And critically, after we take each step, like on Monday, we're going to be able to uh, go to the pub in the garden, which is good. Well, those that are still great. open, of course. Many have shut, uh, sadly. But why don't you accept modelling from the University College London vis-à-vis herd immunity? Yeah. Immunity, but you do, say, from the Imperial College modelling. What, what? That's a good question. Why do you dismiss out of hand what University College London has, has said? 
but you take anything that comes from Imperial College London as the gospel, as the Bible. Why, Matt? What makes their modelling... Could I put it to you that they tell the message that you want and the others don't tell the message that you want to hear, so you ignore it? Very good, Nick. Well, the Imperial study out this morning is not modelling. That's data. That's no, no, showing. No, no, University College modelling says that we will have 73.4% herd immunity by Monday. Well, I think, I think we have um, taken the right course in plotting our way to freedom. Plotting our way to freedom, eh? And doing it carefully because I, we want it to be irreversible. I'd like to take a swordfish by the tail and slap him around the head with it 500 times and then ask him a question. Hmm. Uh, we, have seen, we have seen what happens uh, it, where, when this virus gets going and we've see, we're seeing it getting going right now on the continent. You see, Nick Ferrari is, is again one of the worst presenters in the world. Have you heard Ferrari bully and harass the, the general public when they phone in? and they say something he doesn't like. Ferrari is obnoxious. He treats people pretty badly. But there's Hancock now stuttering and stammering and talking monumental fucking bollocks. And Ferrari just lets him carry on. Instead of stopping him and returning time and again to UCL's prediction that we've already gotten to herd immunity. But no, he just rambles on. Uh, and like that great Led Zeppelin song, Ramble On! Really, yeah, in other parts of the world. Ramble I mean, On! Some of the scenes Keep are really going. appalling. I'm not going to interrupt you. We want to get out of this Good man. safely and irreversibly. Brilliant. And that's why we set out okay. the, uh, Lovely. the roadmap. Okay, says Ferrari. But if that was a member of the public, Ferrari would be bullying him. Shocking stuff, isn't it? I'm going to teach radio production and broadcasting live on air sometime later this year, in case anybody wants to get into it. This is dreadful stuff by Ferrari. He did well to bring it up, but you've got to hammer him. He asked the question, why take UCL and dismiss it and take Imperial College London and implement it? He did ask him, but you've got to keep sticking it to him time and again. But he doesn't. Rubbish. It's kind of half doing your job so that when you get called out later on, you can say, well, I did ask him. It's not good enough to ask him. You've got to hammer him. So Matt Hancock then dismisses UCL's claim that, um, well, that we're reaching herd immunity. Between the eyes. Go on, Scylla. That's the surprise you see. Of course, and later this afternoon, a number of Hancock's pals went to the UK broadsheet press to say that uh, we think the UCL model is wrong. We haven't reached herd immunity. It will dawn on the vacuous, empty-headed majority of people in this country, eventually, that this is not about a virus. That dipstick walking down the street past you today, wearing a mask in the open air, that Terry fuckwit, it will eventually dawn on him that this is not about a virus. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how many rules we play by. There's always a shifting of the goalposts. Saw something today, it was sent to me by friends of mine online, the Irish government is going to allow shops and hairdressers open up from the first week in May, but is planning to limit access to fully vaccinated people. Excuse me, I nearly burped there. 
had a big big drink of water. So the Irish government then, hairdressers and shops, hairdressers and shops will open in the UK on Monday. This Monday. Or England anyway. I don't know what's going on with the jocks, with the taffies, I've no idea. With the paddies in the north of Ireland. But in England, every, not everything, but outdoor stuff opens again on, on, on Monday. Including outdoor theme parks where you'll be temperature checked on the way in and told to wear a mask at all times. So in the Republic of Ireland, we will open shops and hairdressers in May, but you might have to be fully vaccinated to get in. God, I can't remember the last time I was in a hairdresser's. I'm going to say the last haircut I had, I know, was the day before St George's Day. I was in Nottingham in 2010. And I had a little bit of hair then. And I had a... I basically had a number one all around. I could have done it myself. But I knew that my hairdressing visiting days were on the wane. I knew I was on the way out. So I was maximising the pleasure of going to a barber and getting the treatment. Yeah, so that's how it's going to be in Ireland then. There's not even 200 people in the entire Republic of Ireland in hospital with the COVID. Not even 200 God damn it. God damn it. So, so what about this UCL study, University College London, that says we've reached herd, herd immunity? Oh, before we get to that, let's stay with Matt Mutated Fungus Hancock for a moment. He was on BBC Breakfast as well. Like I said, he did the media run. He said, have the jab for your country. He did. He was talking up the AstraZeneca jab, which is killing some people with blood clots on the brain. Do it for your country, said Matt, Matt Hancock. So he did, here he is. We have the highest level of enthusiasm for this vaccine of any other country that's measured across the world. And I just think that's wonderful. But one of the reasons I think for it is that, you know, we in government aren't saying, you know, uh, just do this because we say so. We are saying, listen to the scientists, look at the data yourselves, if you like. It's all published there on the web. And it is clear from the evidence that the benefits to you of having the jab outweigh the risks and critically have an impact on everybody else. And you're doing this not just for you, but for your loved ones and for your country. (laughs) You're doing it for your country. Marvellous. We'll hear more about the UCL study in a moment. The study that says we've already gotten to the old herd immunity. But as it's 26 minutes past five o'clock, I think it's time for a tune, goddammit. And because there is an end of term feel to the programme, I'm playing my songs, the songs that I like to hear. This is for the mutated fungus that is Matt Hancock. It's Bob Seeger on the Richie Allen Radio Show, Thursday, April 8th, 2021. This is Hollywood Nights. I'll be reading your tweets when I come back, so I will. From the album, 1978 album, Stranger in Town, Bob Seger, Hollywood Nights on the Richie Allen Show. That's uh, one of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time, by the way. Bob Seger. Ah, five it is. Hi to Rob Hanley. Will you be attending a pub during your break, Richie? I don't think so, Rob. I don't think so. I won't be dealing with any QR codes. I don't think that'll be introduced by then. I certainly won't be giving my details to anybody. We didn't do it when we went away. We went away last August. We went to the Lake District. And I we did have we, we did manage to have one 
meal, one lunch, in fact, and it was outdoors. We could have had it indoors, but we had two dogs at the time with us. And they didn't ask for any details in one of the... No, we had twice, twice, I think, we, 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 we had lunch. And one time they asked, and I filled in some stupid name and some ridiculous address that probably doesn't exist. But in the other place, they didn't ask. But no, I won't be... I doubt... We, we've got a small dog, and I don't want to spend um, the next few days, you know, drinking alcohol. I do enough of that, sadly, after work most evenings. It's a break from that I need. Hi to Pete. How you doing, Pete? And uh, let me just scroll on. There's some interesting tweets. Hi to Natalie as well. Hi to Jason. It's a great, great, great tune. Yeah, I nearly got to see Bob Seger live. I nearly did. Uh, the future Mrs. A wanted me to basically obliterate our savings and send me to New York a couple of uh, winters ago when he was basically doing his farewell tour. And it is his farewell tour because he's getting on his Bob. It was very decent of the future Mrs. A. And the lovely John Rorty, who's a big supporter of the programme, a really lovely gentleman. John and John's uh, fella, John's husband, Steve, were kind enough to say to me, Richie, we'll give you some place to stay for the couple of days that you're in uh, New York. We'll look after you and it'll save you a few, Bob. I'll never forget that. It was very kind. But no, I didn't get to see Bob Seger. And that's just the way it goes. You can't have everything, you know. You just can't, you know. You can't have everything. Uh, hi to uh, The Great Resist as well, who says there is a long COVID kids website. Is there? I haven't uh, come across that. And there is an interview on there with founder Sammy McFarland on Channel 4, says she and daughter were bedridden for eight months with the long COVID. Wow. I don't buy the old long COVID. You see, because coronavirus... 19 or whatever they're calling it, COVID, whatever. Because it's nothing more than a mild respiratory illness, if it exists at all, and it might not, it might, I don't know. Uh, They had to, well, they had to put legs onto it, didn't they? They had to exaggerate it, to elongate it. So inevitably, they started telling porkies about about hearing voices, about stuttering, about COVID toe, and all of this crap to scare young people into having it. Because there's no justification for a young person to have a vaccine for the flu or for COVID-19. None whatsoever. Because us young folk, when we get the flu, we might be, we might be shagged. You might be shagged or knackered for a few days, for a week even. But you get over it. Anywho... I'll check that out, mate. Thank you for the information. I think it's about time you moved on. William says the hairdressers are open in Bonnie, Scotland, but he's been cutting his own hair since the start of the pandemic. My hair looks terrible, says William. But the upside is I've, well, I've saved a fortune. Back to the University College London claim that we've hit herd immunity already, or we will do by Monday. Julia Hartley Brewer, the thinking man's bit of crumpet, interviewed Professor Robert Reed of the JCVI, the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation. She said, Robert, come here. If we're at herd immunity, Robert, why are we not opening up? Here's Robert Reed and Julia Hartley Brewer. Hmm. Imagine what it'll be like when, you know, we've, we've vaccinated every adult over the age of 18 and have completely obliterated the risk 
of infection, uh, you know, the risk of we serious won't, outcomes. We won't have obliterated Imagine it. Imagine what it's going to be like. But we so, won't have obliterated it, Robert. You know we won't. Um, no, we won't have completely obliterated it, but we'll certainly have a very, very good baseline of immunity from which we can move onwards with uh, with any new variants that uh, mutates uh, uh, in foreign shores. You know, it means that we'll be much tougher as a country as we go forward into 2022, which we expect then to see incursion of new variants of this virus because it's already happening all over the world. And if we've got everybody vaccinated uh, as much as we can, uh, then it gives us a fantastic springboard for booster vaccinations for our population. <laughs> you did hear this, didn't you? Brewer just basically said in her own inimitable way, there's no coronavirus really. We're out herd immunity and listen, this is a whole load of bollocks. And he says, no, carry on with the vaccinations because the vaccinations, if we take them now, will give us a really good platform for the booster vaccination. For the world. And if we've got everybody vaccinated yeah, yeah. Uh, as much as we can, yeah. uh, then it gives us a fantastic springboard for booster vaccination. Ah! What kind of fuckery is this? Yeah. And I'm not going to play the rest of that audio. I go on, I will then, I will. I'll play the rest of it. But she doesn't challenge him on that, well, monumental turd. I mean, that's just garbage, isn't it? Isn't it just garbage? We'll go back to that, will we, and listen to a bit more of it, will we, will we, will we? Robert Reed. Yeah, great springboard for the booster jabs. Because it's already happening all over the world. And if we've got everybody vaccinated uh, as much as we can, uh, then it gives us a fantastic springboard for booster vaccinations for our population to protect them as new variants emerge in other parts of the world. At what point in time do we divest ourselves of our commitment to peaceful demonstrations. At what point in time, and, and I don't mean now that you should go around vandalising shops and smashing cars, leave people's private property alone, but at what stage do you, does it become legitimate for people to take action beyond peaceful action? That guy is a madman. There isn't any other way. I can't be any more eloquent than that. That is a psychopath. A nutcase. Does Julia take him apart at the knees? So a little bit of caution is probably warranted right now. It's going to make us much more resilient as we go into 2022, and that's all there is to it. Is many, I mean, you, I mean, you're all you're thinking about about you know this this coming season. We are thinking about 2022, 2023. That's what worries and, me. I, exactly. I, the, the the overprotective. Uh, I, 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 I don't I don't want medics deciding what I'm doing in 2022 or 2023 or indeed right now. I, I want the British, the, 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 as we've already discovered, the sensible, intelligent British people who can weigh up risk. All right, so Julia says, I don't want a scientist telling me what I can and what I can't do. But that's a cop-out. She should have rolled him back, rolled him back, walked him back to his previous statement. Hang on a second, dickhead. You're saying that we there's no there is no coronavirus without herd immunity, whatever it was. But you're saying just keep vaccinating everybody because that will be a good platform for the booster jabs. Is that what you're saying? But she doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. I wish. I think we've known each other now, you and me. Some of us have known each other since 2010, 2009. 
Um, some of you have known me a few weeks. Some of you have known me years. I have never in my life been self-congratulatory. I've never blown my own trumpet. I wish some of the interviews that I used to do with politicians were still available for you to hear them. They're not because when I worked in commercial radio, you kept your audio for 90 days and then you deleted it. I destroyed some of these people, annihilated them to the point where some of them would, would say to producers, I'm not going back on with him again. And I didn't do that by grandstanding like Piers Morgan or interrupting or belittling or humiliating. I did it by just rolling them back and saying, really? And sticking them. Like Ferrari should have stuck Matt Hancock to the wall over taking Imperial College London studies and ignoring University College London. It isn't difficult. Somebody said to me years ago, are you not embarrassed, Richie? Do you not feel a bit embarrassed when you're going after people like that? I said, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's not about you. It's not about showing off. But everybody should hate politicians. It should be innately, it should be, it, it should well up from deep inside us. We should be born with it. Politicians are the worst human beings on planet Earth. And I don't give a shit which political party you like. They are dreadful, self-serving, narcissistic fuckwits. That's what they are. They would sell their grannies for fame and for fortune. So I took great pleasure in annihilating these feckers when, I, when the opportunity presented itself. There's another opportunity gone begging. Brewer should destroy Robert Reed. He should fear her. But he's just talking bollocks. And again, I don't want the scientists telling me what to do. Julie, he just said he wants us all to be vaccinated so that we can have a springboard for the, for the fucking booster jabs. Come on, Julia, you know. Julia, I've given you the ball. The goalkeeper has actually fucking fainted. He's fainted, Julia. There's blood pissing out of his fucking nose. He, he's not going to get up. Just put the ball in the back of the net, darling. It's right there for you, love. But she does a Diana Ross. Way up risk, us getting to decide what we do. Once we reach herd immunity on Monday, we were told we were going to jab until we had herd immunity. We're going to have herd immunity. What's left to do? People can carry on getting the jab, but we can still be free until then, surely. <laughs> to be fair, you weren't told that. I mean, the... Um, we, we were. The, vac the head of the vaccine task force, Kate, Kate Bingham, said categorically oh. we were going to vaccinate those who are most vulnerable. Uh, Matt Hancock, the health secretary, said that in January, in January the 7th, and interviewed the spectator, that we would cry freedom uh, at the point at which we had jabbed the over-70s uh, with one jab. It's, it's well documented from numerous senior politicians and, and medical people. The aims and objectives of the vaccine programme were to prevent death and hospitalisation. That's what uh, is being achieved yeah. and will be achieved 100% if we can get all of the adults vaccinated. 100%. Oh, we're going for zero COVID, are we? Uh, I think it would be uh, very desirable to give uh, our population the resilience it needs to go forward into any new wave that might ah. emerge. It's certainly true. Vaccinate yourself to give yourself the resilience for what? For the booster jabs. Robert Reed. Keep him locked up, keep him masked up, keep him socially distancing, keep him washing their hands until their skin falls off, terrorise their children. Speaking of being killed by the AstraZeneca jab, even though it's been about 25 minutes since we spoke of it, it killed a gentleman called Neil Astles, God love him. Astles, I think it's pronounced A-S-T-L-E-S, -E Neil Astles. Neil was 59. 
had the AZ jab and died. His sister, Alison, is a pharmacist. She told the BBC what happened. He had the vaccine on the 17th and probably about a week or so later, he started getting headaches, um, which didn't go away. And he started feeling um, sick as well, which again, this didn't go away. Um, And after about eight days of this, um, he got to the stage where he was starting to lose his vision and um, my other brother took him to A&E on Friday night um, and a scan there revealed uh, a huge blood clot and, bre- and bleed in his brain. Um, so he was transferred over to ICU where, unfortunately, he died on um, Sunday evening. I-, I am so, so sorry. And And what have you been told about any possible link between the vaccination and his death? The coroner is still preparing the report on this, so so we're awaiting that. But we were told by the clinicians at the time, who were superb with us, I have to say, um, that they were 99.9% sure this was due to the COVID vaccine. And my brother's patterns of blood results mirrored the cases of the previous um, cases that we've had in the UK as well. So it's it's very strongly suggested that this was um, due to the COVID vaccine. It was, undoubtedly, down to the AstraZeneca vaccine. We know this because the Norwegian top medical uh, guy, the coroner, who looked at the three health workers, basically described what she described. It can only be the jab, okay? What's your reaction to that? Uh, You know... Jesus, what a question. You know, uh, do, do you think that Neil would have, if he thought there was the slightest possibility of him becoming ill... Uh, let, let, let alone anything worse, you know, that, that he would have thought twice about having the vaccine? That's the blue ribbon winner for the most ridiculous question ever asked by a BBC presenter ever. Do you think if Neil knew that there was some chance that he would have had a brain hemorrhage, that he might have not had the vaccine? Jesus. I think the picture is very complicated because as a pharmacist myself, I understand about the pharmacovigilance processes. I understand about the work of the MHRA. And but the the human being, the sister in me still feels absolutely furious and very angry that this has happened to my brother. Um, I sat yesterday and watched Professor Van Tam on the news at three o'clock, giving the information about the vaccine and the risk of clots versus the risk of um, suffering from COVID. And it occurred to me that I was very much in the place where I should speak out about this. Um, because that is not statistics and theory for me. That is actually what has happened to our family. But despite what has happened to Neil and the impact on our family, I still strongly believe that people should go ahead and have their vaccine. Mm, Go ahead and have it, she says. I think she's sincere. She's wrong, but she's sincere, I think. Must be very difficult uh, for her. My mate Spiro, how you doing Spiro, has been in touch with me. A couple of very interesting stories. One of them is that the New York Post is claiming that the, uh, let me just bring that up, that a vaccination site was closed uh, in Colorado on Wednesday because of a number of adverse reactions to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. The operation was shut down there for a day. Thanks for that, Spiro. That's important. And in his own place of work, Spiro did a poll of his colleagues and asked them what their intentions were when it, when it, when it comes to having a vaccine. He uh, went around 
No, he didn't do this. No, he didn't. No, no, no. Let me get this straight now. Supervisors at Spiro's workplace, let me get this right, supervisors went around asking Spiro and his colleagues if they were offered a COVID jab, would they be interested in having it? Naturally, I declined it, Richie, but I did get a sneak peek at the tally. It was about 50-50, yes versus no. Yay versus nay, 50-50. Maybe even slightly more no's than yeses, said uh, Spiro there. That's interesting, that. My theory, and it's there to be shot down, because what the hell do I know about anything, most of the time, is that I believe there will be a lot of resistance. Now, I've I've written about this on richieallen.co.uk. I think now... Once they're, they're they're getting to the under fifties, I think a lot of people, and it won't be necessarily because they've heard programs like this. Not at all. I think there'll be enough common sense in people under fifty who will say, "Well, sure, I'm I'm not likely to die from coronavirus, or or get it very seriously. Therefore, I, I won't have the jab." That's what I'm thinking, but I might be wrong, and I'm often wrong. So I am. When we come back, a little bit of good news. Do you remember that pastor in Calgary in Canada? That Polish pastor who who, who cleared out a a load of police officers from the church on the feast of the Passover. Remember him last week? Well, he was on Fox News. I grabbed a bit of that so we can have a listen to it. And I I think there's still plenty more to talk about between now and and the end of the programme. Yeah. This is ACDC, by the way. And thunderstruck, the time is exactly 12 minutes to 6 o'clock. The Richie Allen Show is live from Salford here. Super Salford. Thunderstruck, ACDC. On Thursday's Richie Allen Show, 8 minutes to 6 o'clock. If you've got to be somewhere by 6, you've still got some time. Hi to William McGregor. How you doing, William? Right, let's uh, move swiftly on. Did you see the pastor? Loved him. I saw this last week on Twitter. I think I retweeted it. The pastor in Calgary. His name is Artur Pawlowski. Artur Pawlowski, originally from Poland. So he is. And uh, he went postal on the police. Do you like that? I'm down with the kids. I've got the lingo. He went postal on the police when they stormed his chapel on the feast of the Passover. You've probably seen it. Here's the audio. He gave it to the cops. There were about six, seven, maybe even eight cops who barged in. They barged in to his chapel. God damn it. He wasn't having it. Here's some of the audio. Please get out. Get out of this property. Immediately get out. Get out of this property immediately. Out. I don't want to hear anything. Out of this property immediately. I don't want to hear a word. Out. Out. Out of this property immediately until you come back with a warrant. Out. 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 Get in. Out of this property immediately out. Immediately go out and don't come back. Don't, I don't want to talk to you. Okay. Not a word. Out of this pro- out of this property immediately. Out. I don't care what you have to say. Out, out, out of this property, you Nazis. You Nazis. And he put the run on them. Pastor Artur Pavlovsky 
What a guy. He was on Fox News last night, was the pastor. Lovely interview. Here's a couple of snippets from it. He's explaining what was going on, obviously. I grew up under communist dictatorship behind the Iron Curtain, under the boot of the Soviets. And I'm telling you, that's no fun at all. Um, mm. It was a disaster. Uh, police officers could break into your house five in the morning. They could beat you up, torture. They could arrest you for no matter what reason they would come up with. There was a famous saying in Poland when I was growing up by the police, give me a man and we will find something on that man. So it was like a black, uh, you know, flashback when those police officers showed up at my church, everything kind of came back to life from my childhood. And the only thing I could do is to fend off the wolves as a shepherd. And I used my voice to get rid of them. They were illegally uh, encroaching on our rights during the most holy days, during the Passover celebration. Uh, how dare they? Uh, the audacity of those people coming. It was a shocking thing. I was a little bit shaken, uh, but I did what every shepherd right now on the planet Earth should be doing, fend off the wolves. We as lions should never bow before the hyenas, and that's what they are right now. We as lions should never bow before the hyenas. I love that. He was screaming at them to get out. There's a higher authority than you, said the pastor. Very good. Um, he saw this coming over a number of years, as he explains to the presenter here. Yes, it is. I have been warning Canadians for the past 16 years that uh, that's what's coming. I could smell it. I could see it at every corner. The implementation of what we are seeing now, it, was, it started way, way uh, about 20 years ago. So uh, growing up under communist dictatorship, I mean, that's a disaster. That's hell on earth. And I see it already in our Western democracies. So the only way um, I know how to fight them is 1981 that I witnessed millions of Poles taking to the streets and saying to them, no more, get out of our country, get out, stop. Millions of Poles took it to the streets during solidarity, mm. like Valenza, and they want their freedom. Right now, if you want your freedom back, because we have to remember history is teaching us that those people will never give up their new uh, gain powers. You got to right. demand those rights back. You have to fight for your rights. They'll never give it back to you freely. So how to do it? Get them out of your properties, out of your businesses, out of your churches. Open up, open the churches. Clergymen should unite and start pushing this darkness away. And we should come and take to the streets and say no more lockdowns, no more restrictions. We will not put up with this anymore. We are fighting back. Brilliant stuff, eh? Pastor Artur uh, Calgary. Um, let me make sure I don't make a mess of his surname again. Artur Pavlovsky. That's the guy on the Feast of the Passover. Outraged that six, seven, I think there might have been eight police officers barged in, barnstormed in to his chapel and he said no effing way be on your way and was um, very loud with them and you might say very aggressive but they backed down, they, they properly backed down and legged it out of the chapel, brilliant stuff and my great friend Jean Ann tells me that she noticed amongst Polish people in, in Ireland that they were very cottoned on to this scam from the from 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 the get go, that the polls in Ireland, uh, the ones Jean Anne met anyway, they knew, and they were wide awake to what was going on, 
and how uh, it was going on and how it was being, uh, you know, how people were being manipulated to it all. Very good stuff there. Uh, all the videos are on YouTube. You can watch the entire interview with uh, Pastor Artur uh, Pavlovsky. That's the guy. All righty then. At the time, the time... Jesus, I need a glass of water. It's 90 seconds to 6 o'clock. It's uh, me, the BBG, live as usual with you this Thursday afternoon, uh, the, the 8th of April. Let me just take some water. Ah, lovely. Can't bait it. Is it distilled? No, it isn't distilled. No, it isn't. Got one of those filters, but it doesn't. I know, I know, it's not great. But I wouldn't know where to begin with the distilling, really. I'm not inviting now a raft of comments on distilling don't even go there. I don't want to know. All right? All right. Anything to tell you? In news, I don't have the news at the top of the, the hour. I've not had the news. Jesus, I'm losing my voice. I'm losing my voice. Hang on a second there. Nothing new to tell you. So uh, uh, we'll just move on. Before we do that, it's BBG Richie on Twitter. Thehill.com. Cheers, Faisal. Thank you for that. I'll give that a retweet there. Uh, do you want to read the article first, says Twitter? Piss off. No, I don't, because I know what it's about. Thank you very much. Hi to Big Dave, who's listening in, in Melbourne, Australia. How you doing, Big Dave? Linda says, Richie, now that pastor is a true man of God. Amazing. Chloe tweets, how you doing, Chloe? Are you the Chloe who phoned me yesterday? I did take note of your number, Chloe. Uh, so if it is you, how you doing? That's all it takes, Richie, she says. No more. No more. Get out. Of this property, you shouldn't be here. And the sixth on Twitter says, what a guy. Sharon says, Richie, regarding younger people having the jab, in my workplace, which is a school, all ages have been offered the vaccines. And many 20 to 30-year-olds took them, says Sharon. Some of them did it to get their freedom back. To have their freedom back. And she goes on to say, maybe now that it's obvious that this isn't really happening, freedom that is, more younger people will refuse them. Thank you, Sharon. Good stuff. Good tweet, good information, that. Hi to John. Uh, hi to Alan in Liverpool. A lot of tweets coming in now. Hi to Dean Smith in Sheffield. How you doing, Dean? And uh, Pippa there. Uh, to Jason, to Smog. Hi to Ruth in Oz. My pal, how you doing, Ruth? And to David. David says, Richie, I swear to God and ickle baby Jesus. But there is no way in hell that I'm having any of this poisonous shite, no matter what the personal cost is. Absolutely. Susan says, Richie, JVC said yesterday that the AZ jab was absolutely safe. Is that the JCVI or John Jonathan Van Tam, Susan? I think both, maybe. Um, they said the AZ jab was absolutely safe, but you might want to opt for an alternative just in case. There is a slight contradiction there, I think, says Susan. I think you're right, Susan. Right, okay, let's uh, move on. Did you hear this today? Now, we often talk, you and me, and God be with the late, truly great Jim Mars, a great personal friend of mine, and a man I had many hours on the radio with talking about these things. A, a, a prince of a man, if ever there was. And Jim would often regale me and my listeners with um, talks about predictive programming, but also about mind control techniques 
to elicit a response from from large groups of people. Jim would talk about how you could get use mind control techniques to get a single person or a small group of people to do certain things. But then he would expand on that and explain how it could be used against entire populations. What do you think the late, great Jim Mars would make of what's going on now? Did you see this today about a COVID memorial? A wall of remembrance? A memorial to those lost to COVID? A wall where everybody who has died at the hands of the monstrous COVID will have a little heart painted on a wall so that we can go there and we can grieve. I thought this was April Fool's Day all over again, but not. Here's Sky News. Now, families who have lost loved ones to COVID-19 are completing a national COVID memorial wall opposite Parliament in London today. About 150,000 hearts have been painted to represent the people who've been lost to the virus in the UK. Sky's Emma Birchley says organisers are keen to make the memorial permanent. Well, it's hard to believe that at the beginning of last week, this was just a normal wall. But since then, thousands upon thousands of hearts have been drawn upon it, each one representing the life of someone who has died because of coronavirus in the UK. And they've been drawn by bereaved relatives, friends, health workers, and also passers-by, given a special paint pen and told to draw a heart. And then what has happened is people have come along and they've done their own little messages. They've signed names or Aww. names or little messages or initials to remember those who have so sadly lost their lives. And one of the people who has been behind this is Becky Kummer. She's a member of the COVID-19 Bereaved Families for Justice group and she joined... She's a member of what group? Did you hear that? I couldn't believe my ears today. This is Becky Kummer. She's a Becky. member of the COVID-19 Bereaved Families for Justice Group. COVID-19 Bereaved Families for Justice Group. COVID is not an army. It's not a terrorist group that kidnapped your loved one and killed him or killed her. It's not an army. It's just a respiratory infection. Did you hear that? What is that? One of the people who has been behind this is Becky Kummer. She's a member of the COVID-19 Bereaved Families for Justice group. For justice! For justice! That implies a campaign for justice. <laughs> what are they going to do? Are they going to bring COVID to the fucking Hague? Is that what they're going to do? Catch COVID, take it to the Hague in shackles and, and put it on trial there? Alongside all of those African dictators that they like to bring to The Hague. This is mental. I mean, this, this is pure vaudeville. This is Frank Grimes in The Simpsons. Where you, if you had any hair, if you had any hair, you're ripping it out. I can't be hearing this. Bereaved families for justice. Fucking hell. Anyway, Becky. Yeah, I think it's been very important for me, um, certainly in the lead up to the one year anniversary, just to kind of, just to feel part of something. Um, you know, there's been over a thousand people who have helped draw these hearts and just talking to them while I've been working here for the, for the days that I've been working, you know, to understand some of their stories, the people they lost to COVID and yeah, just feel a little bit less alone in... To understand their stories? What fucking stories? How long could it be? How long could it take you to tell your story if somebody died 
of a respiratory infection in your family. They should come along here to tell their stories. How you doing? Where are you from? Your Jim, Jim from Yorkshire. Tell us your story, Jim. Well, uh, my sister died of COVID. That's a fucking cracking story, that, Jim. I'm sorry for your loss. Paint your little heart on the wall there now, the wall of remembrance. Jesus Christ. In my grief, because COVID grief has been such an isolating thing because we just couldn't get together with family and friends around the time that Dad died because of the restrictions. So, yeah, just to be here has been very, very therapeutic. Therapeutic, yeah. This is Alan Partridge stuff. And this, at the moment... Um, is is temporary, but it's something that you want to be permanent, and the group say should be permanent. Should be, but nobody should paint over those hearts. Then. Why is it so important that that should be the case? Yeah, we we'd really like it to become permanent as a, a place that the whole UK can come and reflect. Um, <laughs> we know not everybody can travel to the whole of the UK can come and reflect to central London at the moment, but we hope in time people will be able to come and dedicate a heart to their loved one. Um, we're asking people to walk the wall and just, it takes almost 10 minutes to walk the whole way down the wall. And when you see the number on a screen or in the newspaper, you know it's a big number, but seeing every single one of these unique hearts, it it just really shows the personal loss and the, the kind of the hugeness that we've had in the UK of the losses from COVID. Thousands of people die of heart attacks a year. Why don't we have a wall of remembrance? What about the thousands who die because they fell off a ladder or because they fell down the stairs or because they had their transistor radio plugged in while they were having a bath? What about the people who die of flu, who die of cancer every year? This is just crazy stuff. And if you can't see that this is a mass mind control operation or agenda in full flow, well, you'll never see it now, will you? You have to see the images. You can find them online. And listen to the Sky Reporter wrap this up. It's, it's, it's comedy gold. OK, Becky, thank you very much. Thanks, Becky. The sad truth is... The sad truth. Is ...that actually uh, this memorial is going to grow. It's not finished because, as because? you know, people are still uh, dying every day. <laughs> so, sadly, more hearts still to be added to this memorial. You war. better order some more bricks then, love. And start extending the wall. Madness. Bereaved families for justice. The COVID bereaved families for justice at nine minutes past six o'clock. Oh my God. I had to pinch myself listening to that today. Here's Bruce. His most recent album, Letter to You, is a triumph. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band is there with ghosts. Hi to Debs and Ines, how you doing? And thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate that. I really do. Uh, hi to Jean, who says, Another lest we forget moment. What utter bollocks, says Jean, about the memorial. Paul says, What the fucking wall? That sounds like some sort of punishment. And if they want justice for victims, they should be knocking down the doors in Westminster. <laughs> and Political JJ says, Someone get Donald Trump to endorse the wall. It'll be painted over within the air. Good stuff. Good stuff, mate. I like it. I like it a lot. Alan says there's nothing proper about their propaganda. 
fear, grieve, wear seven face nappies, get the jab and a follow-up Brewster jab, free. We'll let you know when you're free, says Alan. That's very good. If it's a wall made for nailing Bill Gates to, then count me in, says William. That's William Henderson. Thanks, William. And Gary, very, very important. Well said, Gary. Gary says, Richie, the justice group seems as though they're trying to put it in the same category as tragic events such as Hillsborough. Yes. Thanks, Gary. It's very, very well put. And I made a bags of it when I, when I was talking about mind control. I made a bags of it. It's psychological warfare on people. People see COVID as some sort of war. Of war. Look at the terminology. The front line. And all of that. Getting people to stand on their doorsteps on Thursdays, clapping like idiots for the NHS, who were dancing and making TikTok videos because they weren't really treating anybody. I'm not saying nobody was treated, but they weren't under any pressure. So yeah, they've tried to cultivate this sense of being at war with an enemy. If it's real, it's just a mild respiratory illness. That's all it is. But to have memorials, give me a break. Proley says, Richie, the psycho operation continues. Absolutely, pal. Absolutely. Yeah. Asher, man. Hi to Colm in Dublin. To Dove Rock, Alien Colm. To David, to Lucy as well. And uh, this, this is not COVID-related, you'll be glad to know. But I did hear this on BBC Breakfast Television this morning. You'll, you'll probably know who Brian Cox is. Ha-ha! You're wrong. It's not the Salford-born actor, who's a brilliant actor, if you please, and played Hannibal Lecter before Anthony Hopkins did, and did a much better job. And I'm not saying that to be cool, by the way. I'm not saying that to be cool. Manhunter is a thousand times better than Silence of the Lambs. It, it just is. Watch it. Michael Mann directed it. It's brilliant. It's brilliantly acted. It's chilling. It's the book based on uh, Red Dragon, which is the first of the Lecter trilogy. And Brian Cox plays a chilling Hannibal Lecter in it. He's brilliant. Can't imagine why he wasn't invited to, uh, to, to perform in Silence of the Lambs. Apparently Jodie Foster didn't like Anthony Hopkins very much when they worked together. Because Hopkins is a bit of a method actor and felt that under no circumstances should he have any conversations with Jodie Foster, who played Clarice. Oh, no having a bit of a, 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 bit of a, a, a chip butty. No chip butties in the canteen. Thank you, please, Ms. Foster. No, because I'm Hannibal Lecter and you're Clarice Starling. No, you're not, you dickhead. You're Anthony Hopkins. We're not in front of a camera now. But he wouldn't have anything to do with her. Anyway, there you are. I don't like Anthony Hopkins very much, personally. I think he's overrated, but then, what do I know? But acting, isn't that right, Gene Ann? Anyway, Brian Cox, the other Brian Cox, is a guy who works for the BBC, and he's a scientist. He's a scientist, and lately, in recent years, he's been making all of these documentaries about the universe and stuff. And if you believe the UK media, this guy is a stone-cold genius who knows everything about everything. And he does these national tours, well he used to before this bollocks, where he will turn up in an arena and turn the lights down and, and tell you about the universe. Anyway, 
Brian Cox, right, okay. Um, he was on BBC Breakfast this morning and he mentioned the holographic universe, very briefly. And we're very interested in that, aren't we? It turns out that our study of black holes in the last couple of years has forced us to reassess what we think reality is. And I think that's a question that we all ask at some point in our lives. So what is, what is this? What does it mean to be human? And what is reality? And, and I could go on for ages about it, but the, the one I'll give you, I'll leave you with one statement. We now think that we may be holograms and reality is not what it seems like at all. Now that's really weird. We now think he's a proper plagiarist, isn't he, Cox? The holographic universe theory has been around forever and ever and ever and ever. Well, it's been around since the 1950s. Uh, look up Suskind, look up Tom Banks, Willie Fishler. It's been around for a long time. And in recent years, David Icke has taken it on and has researched it and has added his own uh, body of work to the theory that we live in in a hologram. By the way, Brian Cox, I'm, I'm getting a kick in the arse from John, who says Brian was born in Dundee, Richie. That's right, but he, what, did he live in Salford then? Why am I making a bags of that now? Let me just bring it up on the old screen there. Brian Cox, the actor. Yeah. Darling, let's have a look. Uh, Brian, yeah, of course he's Scottish, yeah, yeah. What's wrong with me? But did he live in Salford or something? He was a uh, Roman Catholic, good man. And uh, Dundee, yeah, lovely. Uh, London Academy, lovely. I'm just talking through my sphincter, eh? How could you ever trust anything that I ever said ever again? After making a balls of that. There's a, there, there is some link between Cox and Salford, isn't there? Isn't there? Help me out here, I'm, I'm sinking. I'm thinking I'm drowning. Anyway, I must be wrong. I'm sure that wouldn't be the first time anyway. Thanks, John, for the correction there. Indeed. Oh, well. Yeah, sure you can't win them all. Anyway, uh, let me read some more of these um, uh, tweets. But yeah, about the holographic universe thing. This has been around for years and years and years. As I said, David Icke has taken it on in recent years. He's written about it extensively uh, to his credit, of course. In his books, he has, he has given credit to those who came before him who put forward this theory to begin with. Uh, basically, the idea is that what we see around us is a holographic projection. Coming from where? Well, David has his theories. David believes that ultimately it is controlled by interdimensional beings and it is used as a tool to enslave us, to imprison us and to prevent us from understanding what we really are which is all that can be and ever was. That's what David believes. I hope I'm not doing him a disservice. I shouldn't because I listened to him talk about it often enough over the years. And I have a lot of sympathy for the theory. I have a lot of sympathy for it. I think David believes that Saturn has a big part to play in the projection of the hologram. The books are really interesting. If you're interested in it, get, get, you know, grab one of the books and, and get stuck right in. I interviewed a guy called Rich Tareel from NASA on this pro programme, I think back in 2015 or 2016. He was a lovely interviewee. And in fact, I was in touch with him recently. He said he'd love to come back. And he said to me that his... Rich Tareel is very well known because um, <clears throat> he discovered some moons. I'm very... I have to be very careful what I say now in case I get something else wrong. Yeah, but, but Rich discovered some moons... Uh, 
Maybe not Saturn, maybe Jupiter, maybe. Anyway, Rich Thoreau is a big deal at NASA. I know what you think about NASA. I know you're going to say, never a straight answer. It's bullshit, Richie. Of course it is. NASA is an establishment tool. I know. I'm well aware of it. Rich was lovely. And he came on to say to me that he, his best bet now would be, yes, that it's a holographic projection. That while you and I are conscious beings, we, we are real. We're not, we're not unreal. We're real in terms of we are energetic creatures. But what we think we are and the experiences that we are having, those are not real. Those are downloaded. And I asked Rich who did he think was responsible. I mentioned David to him in the interview. And Rich said, well, you couldn't rule out what David suggested, uh, that it was some malevolent force that had created this hologram in order to imprison us. But he said maybe some future version of ourselves invented it, maybe. It's a fascinating thing to get into. And I promise you that in the very near future on this programme, we'll be exploring that with some really interesting men and women who are working on it and who do believe it to be possibly the best guess. Now, is that incompatible with a belief in a benevolent higher power? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think it's necessarily incompatible with your belief or my belief. And I don't have any belief, really, in a higher power. I'm agnostic, as it were. But I don't think it's incompatible at all. But it's fascinating. Like, I know I've used that word a few times. It's a wonderful field of research, really, to get into. And I suppose not knowing a single thing about anything, because I don't, really. The older I get, the less I do know. The older I get, the more I realise how little it is I know. I certainly didn't know anything about Brian Cox. I, I, that, that would be the theory that would make the most sense to me. That what we see about us is not actually real. And how has David Icke described this? Whether you're black or white, whether your religion is Judaism or Christianity, these are experiences, these are programmes. They're not really what you are. And he believes that everything that happens is ultimately designed to prevent us understanding what we are. Because what we are is unstoppable. It's, it's, it's um, unbeatable, really. It's perfect. While we're all individual, it's perfect. It's a perfect expression. And um, everything else, this hologram, if it comes from Saturn or the moon or whatever, that's there basically to, 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 to kind of act as a kind of a, a barrier to us ever realising who we are really and what we're capable of. And that I'm prepared to entertain as, as an idea. I don't see why not. But it's been so long since we've really dug into that on the programme that it'd be nice to get back into some of those types of shows again in the near future. I know that I've said, I know that I've said that, you know, talking about anything else in the scamdemic is akin to rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. And I do really feel that. I, that's what I feel at the moment. You know, I've kind of gone into myself a bit. Even privately, I've gone into myself a bit. You know, I'm not as social as I used to be with people because you can't, you, you end up talking about coronavirus and this scam and where it's going. And to, to cover other things on the programme, for me, feels like or felt like that you're, you're in some way rearranging the old deck chairs and all of that. But no, I do 
want to get into some of this nature of reality stuff when uh, when when uh, when I come back because my next move is uh, I'm taking a break. I'm away until a a week on Sunday, which I think is the 18th, is it, of 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 uh, of April. Now that's provisional. Right, that's dependent on what I do with my break. When I say provisional, I'm definitely coming back on Monday the 19th. Definitely. Of course I am, 100%. But if I'm away the weekend after next, I'm not sure I will be, I probably won't be. But if I am, I might not do the old Sunday morning melodies on Sunday the 18th. I might not. But provisionally, I am. But I'll let you know, right? So the earliest you'll hear from me is the 18th of, 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 of April and the latest is Monday the 19th of, of April. So I'm taking a break. I've, uh, been, I've done nothing but shows since after the Christmas break. I'm, uh, I'm overdue a week off, so I'm having a week off now and I'm looking forward to it. You um, look after yourselves in the meantime. Thanks for listening to the programme. Thanks for your kind words this afternoon. I don't deserve them. And um, a week will fly in the blink of an eye. And you and I will be talking again and we'll be listening to many more interesting men and women on this particular radio programme. Alrighty, thank you. I love you. Look after yourselves. Enjoy this coming weekend. And uh, hey, listen, maybe by the time I come back, (laughs) maybe it'll be all over. Maybe not. Anyway, I'm leaving you with Wayne Newton. This is for you, by the way. For you. Thanks, by the way. See you soon. Bye now. Bye.